Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. And uh, today, we're taking a look at Psalm 19. And we've talked a lot about, Pastor Kyle has explained how, how uh, the Psalms are primarily songs, and they, have, uh, they fall into a variety of categories, of genres, right? Like Psalms of Lament that reflect uh, the suffering that we experience in our lives, and uh, wisdom psalms that offer guidance on, on how to live lives, lives of righteousness, lives of goodness before God. There are many psalms of thanksgiving, so on, different, different sort of genres of this literature. But Pastor Kyle and I were talking recently, and we realized that this summer, this is the third time we've done summer psalms, this summer we've kind of both been drawn to psalms of praise. Now it wasn't planned, it wasn't coordinated, the only coordination we did was making sure we weren't preaching on the, the exact same psalm, which is unlikely because there are 150 of them, but um, we've, we've both been drawn to these psalms of praise this year, and I love that. I love seeing how God moves and uh, moves his people together, and, uh, and it's a season of praise, and so we're grateful for that. So Psalm 19 offers praise for the ways that we experience the revelation of God. Some of you may be familiar with, uh, with a man named Richard Foster. He's an author and a theologian, and uh, I really respect his work. Uh, I love how he describes this, how he describes the revelation of God. He said that as we learn about God, as we learn of God and know more of God, our study consists of two great books. There are two modes of learning, two great books by which we come to know more and more of God. And that's not just his idea. He's really describing the same means of revelation that we see here in Psalm 19. So let's dive in and take a look at that. I almost forgot I'm in charge of my own slides here. Well, the very first great book uh, by which we come to know more of God is the book of nature, the created world. And when I say first, I don't mean most significant, just the first one mentioned in the psalm here. The created world is a means by which we uh, can experience the revelation of God. Let's read the first part of Psalm 19 here. All right, starting in verse 1, it says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak, and night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. The Bible speaks of the wonder of creation over and over and over again from the very first sentences in the book of Genesis. And the psalmist here is telling of the way that creation, that, that the natural world makes God known. The heavens proclaim his glory. The skies display his craftsmanship even without words, even though their voice is not audible, their voice is silence. Their message is clear. They exist because of 
their creator God, and they exist for the purpose of praising him. I'm sure we can all think of a moment where we have just been in awe because of what we see in the creative world around us. Think of, a, think of a time when this has happened to you. I'm sure you've all experienced this. Maybe standing on the coastline of the Pacific Ocean. We are so fortunate to live where we do and be surrounded by this amazing natural beauty. Maybe you've hiked through the, the mountain meadows in the North Cascades or stood and looked out over the expanse of the Grand Canyon. These magnificent places speak to an undeniable existence of a creator. And for some of you, maybe your most awe-inspiring experiences with nature aren't in the grand sweeping scenes, but more in the, in the intricate details. Maybe you're a gardener and you find delight in the scent of freshly turned soil or in a little sprout just, just peeking above the ground. Or maybe you could spend an entire afternoon just enraptured with the indescribable color of the petal of the rose on your kitchen counter. I know that for many of you, uh, and for me frequently as well, we experience the goodness of the Lord in these small miracles of his creation. I remember this day a year or so ago, it was mid-COVID, I was driving to work one morning and I come in from Everett, and so I was driving down uh, the hill and I turned east into the valley, and then as I turned that corner, the beauty of the landscape in front of me just took my breath away. I see Everett people like, yeah, I know. You come down the hill and it's amazing. There's, there's the, the valley, the farmland in front of me, and the river's over here, and there are trees dancing on the, on the hillside, and, and uh, there are birds, and the sky was a brilliant, clear blue, which may be a, a little unusual, but it happened that day. And then the mountains, you know how on the clear days, you know when the mountain is out if you're joining us from somewhere other than Washington, you don't, that doesn't make sense to you, but, but we see so many cloudy days that we don't always get to see the majesty of the mountains that surround us. On that day, the Cascades were just in front of me, crystal clear and snow-tinged, and it was so beautiful. And I remember that I just started laughing. And I was alone in the car driving through the valley, and I just started laughing, and I tend to be a little reserved. And so... <laughs> You're a little, it's a little, you're a little enthusiastic about that. I'm a little reserved, right? I tend to be uh, quiet and introverted. And so I just started laughing alone in my car. And I couldn't help it because words just failed to adequately meet the splendor of what I was seeing. And so laughter stepped in and offered praise to God. For, for not only the beauty of his creation, but also for what was obvious to me in that moment was his goodness in creating such a marvelous world for us to live in. And that, that moment has stuck with me. And when I think of it, I'm, I'm reminded of the goodness and the graciousness of our Lord. And that laughter that, that just overflowed from my heart, that was an offering of praise to God, but it was also a blessing and a gift from God. 
because that day, as I mentioned, that occurred mid-COVID, in the middle of the pandemic. And we were so tired. We were so tired, weren't we? Things were hard. People were sick. Some of us had lost loved ones. And the economy was failing and we had lost jobs and communities and even families have been torn apart by ideological differences. Acts of injustice and hatred, especially those rooted in racism, had peaked, had spiked. And so many of us, kids and adults, were facing mental health crises because of all the stress. I don't know about you, but in those days, sometimes, sometimes the weight of it was really, really heavy. And it was in the middle of that reality that I drove down the hill into the Snohomish Valley and saw this gorgeous display of God's beauty and God's glory. And it left no doubt in my mind that our Creator is good. And that moment of revelation brought peace and hope and healing to my heart. Day after day, the heavens proclaim God's glory. The skies display his craftsmanship, and their message has gone throughout the earth, their words to all the world. The Apostle Paul said in uh, Romans chapter 1 that God has made his truth obvious through his creation. He said, they know the truth, they, humanity, we know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. We can witness God's greatness and his power and his beauty through his creation. We can know that there's a creator simply by observing the wonder of creation. This great book of nature points us to a creator God. But it does not tell us his name. Who is this creator? Who is the God who has created all that exists? We can look around and know, we know that there is a God, there's a creator who has made all of this beauty, but who is he? What is his character? What is this God's purpose? And nature alone does not give us these answers, at least not nature in the way that we have been talking about it, in the, the created world, the, uh, the heavens and the sky, the sun and the stars, the trees and the fields, the mountains and the seas. These things tell us that there is a creator, but they do not tell us the creator's name. And so for that, we turn to the second great book by which we know God, and that is scripture. Psalm 19 goes on to praise God for his law, for his word. And it's through this book that we learn the name of our creator, God. There's this really fascinating development of language in Psalm 19. I just geeked out about it. In the, in the first few verses, which we've already read, uh, God is referred to as God. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the word that's used here is kind of this 
this general word for God. Now, it is referring to God, but it's a general word um, that's used, that was used in the, in the ancient Near East really to refer to a number of gods, to almost any god. Because in that, in that culture in the ancient Near East, uh, everyone believed in a god, or, or more likely in many gods. Deity worship was a really significant part of foundation of these ancient cultures. And they all understood that the world had been created uh, in one way or another by a god or a family of gods or gods at war with one another. They had their, their own stories, but they knew that a god had created everything. So when the, when the psalmist says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God, uh, they use this kind of generic word that could be used to reference uh, almost any of the gods in the, in the surrounding area. Creation tells us that there is a God, but it does not tell us his name. But the psalm continues, and we're going to pick it up in verse uh, 7. It says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. And they are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. Did you catch the shift in how the psalmist refers to God here? It comes through even in the English translation, which I think is just cool. In these verses, this latter part of the psalm that prays God for his word, for his law, God is referred to as, as what? As the Lord. And the word used here is really specific. It's, it's Yahweh, as we would pronounce it as Yahweh. It's the name of God, the personal and sacred name of God, which was revealed first to Moses when God uh, called him to lead the people of Israel to freedom. So you imagine that some of you know this story. Moses is standing terrified in front of this burning bush, this bush that is on fire but is not being consumed. And the voice of God is speaking to him through this burning bush and telling him to go to the people of Israel, which was a terrifying prospect for Moses because, as he said, he was slow of speech and also wanted for murder. So this was a problem. He didn't want to go back to his people. But God was saying, you are the one. You are to go and free my, free my people. Be my leader to free my people. And Moses said to God, okay, but if I come to the people of Israel and I say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? Feels like a password, right? When I was a kid, grew up in the 80s, and like families always had like a, like a password. So if somebody came and said, hey, your mom told me I needed to pick you up from school today, you'd be like, what's the password? I don't think anybody ever used it, but we all, we all knew how to do this, right? It's just like, what's, what's your God's name who told you to come back to us? And God said to Moses, 
I am who I am. Say that to the people of Israel. Tell the people, I am has sent you to them. And I imagine that at this point, Moses is like, oh, I am definitely getting beat up. (laughs) That's not going to work. But God is gracious, and he also said to Moses, okay, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the Lord has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God told Moses his name, and his name is the Lord. God also gave Moses the law in this process of freeing his people. He gave Moses the law, the word of the Lord, by which the Lord's people were to live. The word that set them apart from the rest of the world for the glory of God. So if we go back to Psalm 19, in talking about creation, the psalmist uses this, you know, pretty general word for God. But in talking about the law, in talking about the word of God, The psalmist uses God's name, Yahweh, the Lord. The creation of God tells us that there is a God. And the word of God tells us who that God is. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. I recently learned that, uh, that, that some scholars have interpreted that word Yahweh, that ancient word for the Lord, to mean he who makes that which has been made, or he who brings into existence whatever exists. And I think that's a really fitting name for our creator God. The two great books by which we can know more and more of God are the books of nature and the book of scripture, the creation and the word. And the more that we study these two books, especially together, the more we see that they are pointing to the exact same thing, or rather to the exact same person. Because the creator of all that is and the word of God are not two separate things. Maybe you're familiar with the very first verse of the Bible in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But listen to the opening verses from the Gospel of John. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And then John goes on throughout the chapter, throughout the book, to identify that light as Jesus. So in the beginning, Jesus already existed. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Back in Psalm 19, we're given six different references to the law of the Lord. It all means the law of the Lord, but they're called the instructions of the Lord. 
the decrees of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, reverence for the Lord, or some versions would, would call that the fear of the Lord, and then the laws of the Lord. And Jesus had some pretty important things to say about the law of the Lord, which makes a lot of sense if you consider that's his law, right? Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus came to fulfill the law of the Lord, to complete it, to meet all of its requirements down to the smallest letter and the least stroke of a pen. He did not come to say, forget the law. He came to finish the work that began when the law was given to the people uh, of Israel, the people of God, through Moses. You know, it's no coincidence that both the name of the Lord and the law of the Lord were revealed to God's people through Moses as key elements of their own freedom. So knowing that Jesus, the word who is God, came to finish the work of his own law, I'd like to read these words from Psalm 19 again. Uh, but I'd like to think about the law, reference it in, in a new way. Just consider these verses again. Jesus is perfect, reviving the soul. Jesus is trustworthy, making wise the simple. Jesus is right, bringing joy to the heart. Jesus is clear, giving insight for living. Jesus is pure, lasting forever. Jesus is true. He is fair. Jesus is more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. And Jesus is sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. Jesus is both the creator and the word. The study of creation will point us to the creator, who is Jesus. The study of the word, the law, will point us to the word, to the fulfillment of the law. And that's Jesus. Let's commit together as the people of God to studying these two great books, creation and scripture. Let's be diligent students of both. And here's my encouragement to you. If you find that, that in your study of creation, whatever that looks like for you, if you find that that is not leaving you knowing more of Jesus, then maybe spend some more time in the study of the word. And if you find that your study of scripture, I don't mean to neglect then the study of creation, continue that as well, but focus on studying of the word. If you find that your study of scripture in this time is not leaving you knowing more of Jesus, then perhaps spend some more time studying creation. Let's make sure we're doing both. And in both, let's slow down. Let's savor what we're learning and rest in the beauty. Let ourselves sit and be awestruck 
by our creator God, by the word who has brought into existence everything that exists. The Lord who is God, the Lord alone. That's Jesus. And he will meet you in the pages of these books. Amen? Let's pray.